This is Worker's World Podcast. You're about to hear a roundtable discussion that was recorded on March 11th, 2021, entitled Stimulus, Relief or Ripoff? of revolutionaries from across the world gather to strategize, analyze, and to build the struggle for a socialist future for a workers' world. Uh, My name is Ted Kelly with Workers' World Party in Philadelphia, and tonight we have a really exciting panel of comrades from Workers' World Party who will be discussing the COVID-19 stimulus bill. Uh, For several months, members of the House and Senate have been hotly debating a new COVID-19 relief bill so-called relief bill, which at the start included things like a $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, an extra $400 a week for those who are still in unemployment. But those measures have been quickly shot down. The fight for 15 was bipartisanly shot down in the Senate, and the $400 extra unemployment uh, payments, $400 a week, was cut down to $300 a week. Again, the number of people who qualify for the stimulus has also been cut, capping that out at $80,000 a year income. But is this bill enough to provide relief for those who have been living under the stress of past due rent and mortgages for almost the entire pandemic? The bill was slated to add $25 billion in rental assistance and $10 billion in mortgage assistance. But who exactly does that go to? And who decides? Is this enough to keep millions of Americans on their feet in the midst of a pandemic? Biden says this amount of stimulus should provide relief through July. But places like New York City and California, that doesn't even uh, cover a month of rent, not to mention any rent that is past due. The moratorium will be up on the 31st of this month, um, which means that widespread evictions are expected to follow. What we need is rent and mortgage cancellation across the board. And we need $2,000, like we are promised, not $1,400. So we're gonna be discussing all these things tonight. Uh, before we get started, please make sure to be uh, save, uh, to share the live stream. We have this video going on Facebook and Twitter and any social media um, uh, you can share it on. We're also streaming uh, on our new Twitch channel, Twitch TV slash workers world. Um, so now, without further ado, I would like to introduce the other members of our panel tonight for this roundtable discussion. We have Comrade Ezra Echo in Buffalo, New York. We have Comrade Megan Murray, also in Philly. And we have Comrade Devin Cole from the Central Gulf Coast. Comrades, welcome. Um, so let's get right into it, right? Um, capitalist media is, by the way, comrades, um, as you're sharing the video and and um, watching along, know that we are currently competing with Joe Biden tonight. So we're actually, he's giving some, it's not really press conference. He doesn't give press conferences because he might actually get caught in the question. Um, so instead he's giving some kind of broadcast and who knows, maybe our ratings will be better. Um, capitalist media is calling the stimulus bill the end of neoliberalism. Um, They're calling it the end of austerity. And we are seeing, you know, sort of unprecedented direct payments, tax benefits, um, and an expansion of the Affordable Care Act, so-called. But what is included in this bill for workers and what's missing? Um, Some liberal commentators are going so far to say this is the end of Reaganism. Is it? Um, I wonder, Megan, if you want to field this question first. Yeah, so I think maybe one way to start with this question is to sort of um, address what maybe is uh, a misconception about like what neoliberalism is. Um, You know, I think we sort of get this dichotomy of big government versus small government and neoliberalism means small government and sort of letting capital do its thing, which is, you know, um, in in and of itself also not good. But um, what what neoliberalism has meant uh, really is has not been a reduction of like government activity in general. 
what it has meant is government intervention in sort of submerged and backhanded ways that sort of exclude these direct payments. So the, in my opinion, the, the real break from the only thing that constitutes a sort of break from the neoliberal paradigm is the direct stimulus payment. However, like the Affordable Care Act tax breaks, these are things that do not constitute a break from the neoliberal logic, right? The Affordable Care Act uh, was, uh, you know, was an expenditure and requires an expenditure of, of, of government funding, but not in this direct way, like we get with direct payments like food stamps or uh, social security benefits, where, that, where it's more visible that the government is doing something. Um, with, with the Affordable Care Act, for example, like one of the reasons that, um, you know, even though, you know, we still see people dying because they can't afford insulin, you know, people in, in hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of medical debt, um, you know, for, for, for those of us, um, you know, struggling with all of that today, it's hard to think of the Affordable Care Act as a success. Certainly it has helped some, some workers gain access to healthcare, but it has done that by providing incentives. It, is, it has done that by tinkering with the market, right? It hasn't done anything to actually change the fact that our healthcare and our well-being is commodified. So, insur so insurance companies, healthcare providers, pharmaceutical companies have continually increased their profits throughout all of this, right? And um, that's part of why in the US we spend more money, you know, per capita on healthcare than any other country in the world. And yet look at our outcomes, right? You know, we still have have people who can't access healthcare. Um, we still, um, you know, are, are seeing people go into, you know, hundreds of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Um, so really what neoliberalism has meant, you know, is, is the government <laughs> basically intervening in the market, A, to allow the market to sustain itself when, you know, certain companies become unprofitable or temporarily unprofitable, um, but also to, you know, ensure that people are getting the bare minimum kind of that they need in order to survive without that costing anybody any profits. And um, really we can see this, um, this, this stimulus bill as that same kind of mode, right? Um, I think, uh, you know, saying that this is the end of neoliberalism or the end of the Reagan era um, just ignores the fact that this is really like a stopgap measure. This is really pushing the crisis slightly into the future. You know, this is, um, you know, the attempt by the government to, to ensure that profits continue to rise as they have. You know, workers have footed the bill of this pandemic. Workers have bared the brunt of this economic crisis. And, um, you know, the, the name stimulus even, even tells you who this bill is for, right? What is it stimulating? The economy. It's not stimulating the well-being of workers. No, when we get a stimulus, what that's stimulating is consumption, is demand, because we're in, this is, you know, the definition of a, an economic crisis where workers stop having enough money to pay for the things that, you know, cap the, the capitalists produce. Um, and that's an attendant, that's a tendency inherent in capitalism, right? They want to drive wages down, you know, they want to make profits as high as possible. Well, that leads to workers not being able to engage in the consumption that would sustain that system. And so when workers don't make enough to consume, what do you do? Well, you extend credit lines. Well, what happens when they can't pay the credit back? <laughs> we get an economic crisis. And that's what we saw in 2008. But as we know, the structural issues that led to that collapse in 2008 have not changed, right? They have not been rectified. So really we are looking at an impending crisis. We can't really tell exactly when that will, I mean, we're already in a crisis, but this in terms of like the student debt bubble exploding in terms of like this debt crisis, um, we're, we're still facing that in the future, I think. And so really this is not, um, a major shift in the in the tactics of of the government, you know, to say, oh, we're going to finally start like directly providing you with the things you need. You know, we're going to sort of go back to a, a mythical like New Deal type situation. Um, you know, we're we're just giving money out now. A fourteen hundred dollars, as you know, Ted mentioned, is not even enough for rent in a, in a lot of large cities in the U.S. Um, 
really, if this was about taking care of workers, we would be getting monthly direct payments of more than 1400, right? Um, and, and, you know, people would not be being evicted or have, you know, months and months and months worth of unpaid rent. Um, so really what this amounts to is a stopgap measure to push the crisis further into the future in such a way that the capitalists can continue to make profit, that they can continue to not bear the costs of the crisis that um, they're benefiting from, really. Um, so, you know, this, I think, is just um, something they are forced to do by the conditions uh, created by COVID, but not a, not a significant shift in their strategy. They're really trying to um, continue business as usual. Devin or Ezra, do you want to jump in here too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously we see the direct payments going to people. So that's really one of the only things that they're actually doing with this bill to provide direct relief. Because like you said, we don't know necessarily. There were so many payments that were supposed to go out for rental assistance and mortgage assistance that just went nowhere or went to other things. And so we don't know who's getting those payments, if anyone's going to get them, or if the government's just going to allocate them to something else. And also because of the crushing of the fight for 15, that could have been something that they could have done to definitely improve the standards for so many workers. But because they didn't do that, we still see sub minimum wage wages for service industry workers like myself. And we still see disabled workers who are being paid sub minimum wages as well. And those things also could have been rectified with this bill. But the fact is that they chose not to do that because we have a democratically controlled White House, we have a democratically controlled Senate and Congress. So what exactly is stopping them from doing these things? They always say that, oh, you know, if, if we vote Democrats into office, everything will get better. We, we will be able to get done the things we need to get done. But this is proof that that is not true because they will always find a way to push off what we really need. And now I think instead of 15, we should demand $25 an hour be the minimum wage because just to scare them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these concessions were made like we were said, oh, they, they told us like we have to make some concessions to make this a bipartisan bill. No Republicans voted for it still. And yet and yet everything was negotiated away before they even got to the table. Um, I mean, how many more times do we have to see the Democrats doing this until we realize this isn't just, you know, the rug getting pulled out from under them every time? This is their policy. This is the good cop, bad cop routine that the two bourgeois parties play with us. You know, Devin, uh, I'm, I know we lost you for a second. Did you want to make any last comments on this first question about whether we've <laughs> entered the end of Reaganism? <laughs> OK, yeah, um, I think also, you know, we're we're all members of Workers World Party. And when we talk about workers, like we, we are always very clear about who we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, not just people who have a union, which is a smaller group than ever before, you know, certainly compared to the 20th century. Um, but it's also unemployed workers and migrant workers and sex workers and incarcerated workers and gig workers. Um, and, you know, when you start realizing how many of us fall under this category, um, it's kind of, it makes you think, why are we letting the Democrats negotiate on our behalf? Because they clearly are giving up the game before we even get there, you know? Um, so before we get to our next question, I just want to say, you know, this is a Workers World uh, Roundtable, sort of live stream, um, and you can join us if you like what you're hearing uh, so far. Um, so if you are interested in joining Workers World, which is a militant Marxist-Leninist organization in the belly of the imperialist beast, uh, go to workers.org slash join. Um, you can fill out that form there on the website and one of us, an organizer from the party, will be in touch with you uh, as soon as we can um, because we need to grow more militant socialist communist organizations um, to really fight for all those different sectors of the, the working class that we're talking about here. Um, the stimulus plan that, that was just passed, that Biden signed today, 
helps 185 union pension plans that serve almost 11 million retired truck drivers, retail clerks, builders, and other you know uh, labor groups. Um, 22 billion will go towards emergency rental assistance, and 10 billion will help homeowners struggling with mortgage payment. The right wing hates all this, right? Why do revolutionary socialists have a problem with it? So simply put, it's, it's not enough. Uh, you were talking, and I think uh, Megan mentioned it as well, $1,400 in a lot of big cities uh, is not enough to even cover rent. And I would go so far as to say that in big cities or in rapidly gentrified cities uh, like uh, Miami or San Francisco or New York City, uh, even if you had two people living together who put those two stimulus checks together, those $2,800, that's still not enough for rent in some of these places in these big cities. So, I mean, it's just, it's simply not enough. We have to consider that people have, some people have been out of work um, for a year now. I know this past weekend, there were a lot of posts on social media of, you know, a year ago, this was the last like normal weekend we'd have. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. I saw it everywhere. And a lot of people were saying like, I was laid off a year ago uh, and they still don't have their jobs back. Uh, I lost my job as a result of COVID. Uh, I've had to go into business for myself. And even that's, that's very difficult right now. And so it's simply not enough to give people enough money for, you know, one, two, maybe three months worth of rent. And that's all they can spend it on. Uh, when, you know, millions of people are unemployed right now, there's no kind of safety net. Uh, you know, there are companies like down here in the South, and I, I want to specify, uh, I'm in Northwest Florida. So I know all the other comrades on the call tonight are up North. Uh, I'm at the other end of the country. So down here, we have uh, Gulf Power, which is a subsidiary of Georgia Power, Alabama Power. Um, and they have a very strong monopoly on this area and they're overcharging people for electricity. I know people personally whose power bills are more than $1,400 right now and they have no way to pay it off because they've been unemployed for six or seven or eight months. So, you know, there's water shutoffs, evictions have resumed again, um, all across the Gulf Coast, and all across the country. So this isn't, it's, it's, it's like you, I'm trying to like think of something to, to compare it to, but there, there's no sort of safety net. It's not enough. Uh, and you know, you had the fact, even $2,000, um, uh, even this $2,000, what it originally was, was not enough. Um, this, you know, $2,000 a month would still be not enough. You know, there needs to be so much more like Ezra mentioned, you know, the, the minimum wage increase, you know, I'm going to not to like one up you Ezra, uh, but I'm going to take it a step further and say that minimum wage should be up in the 30, 33 to $35 an hour. Uh, at this point with the with the salary increases that Congress gets and the mm. Senate gets um, our the minimum wage should realistically be thirty three to thirty five dollars an hour. Um, but this is not enough. It's it's just it's simply not. And, you know, there are people who are saying that, you know, well, we have to you know, there's they're making excuses and we knew they were going to do this. Um, you know, they're saying like, well, you know, you got 600 at first and now you're getting the other 1400 and it's like, but you have to understand that even the original 2000 wasn't enough. And now 1400 is just a slap in the face. 600 was two slaps across the face. 1400 is, you know, is just another one. So it's, I mean, it's just simply not enough. I can't, you know, like I said, one, two, three months rent. And you have to consider that outside of the realm of that, of, of the things you need, there are things that, that happen that require emergency money. If you've mm -hmm. been out of work for six months and, you know, two of your tires bust on your car, I mean, that's, you know, that's five, that's four or $500 right there. And I know I just had to have all four of my tires replaced last year. It was almost $700. And that right there would be half of this, half of this stimulus check. So it's just the little things like that. 
where it's it's not enough. There is no safety net. This is essentially like if someone was drowning and you threw some kind of inner tube out to them and it had a hole in it and it was rapidly losing air and pressure. That's kind of like what this is like. It's going to help them for about 30 seconds. Um, and then they're going to be back in trouble again. So, you know, whereas the right wing hates all of this because the right wing absolutely will hate any time that, you know, even so much as a dollar is taken from their personal profits, revolutionary socialists hate it because it doesn't go far enough, which is constantly the struggle between revolutionary socialists and the Democratic Party. One of the many struggles, I should say. I, that is such a good metaphor for exactly what this kind of like half measure means tested neoliberal like quote unquote relief is. And, you know, it's what, what you were just talking about, Devin, everything, it, it all of these things, the, the exorbitant uh, utility bills, the, the plummeting wages, these are all staples of austerity. So it's like what Megan was saying about how, you know, neoliberal austerity never really left. The difference is there is something now that is causing the capitalist ruling class to say, cut them, cut them just a little bit of a check, you know, to make it seem like we're working. And I think we can get into why it is that there is some concern on their part. And certainly uh, an entire summer of working class uprising against the violence of the state and the white supremacy of the state has something to do with that, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they are, they're cutting us these, they're doing things like cutting us these small checks. You know, there are some places that have moratoriums. They're saying like, okay, uh, you owe us $1,200 and we're, we're not going to cut your power off right now, but we might start cutting it off three months from now. And you still owe us $1,200. And there's going to be all these reconnect fees. What actually needs to happen is that all utility debts need to be canceled immediately. A moratorium is a compromise. Um, that, that is the compromise. But we have to demand even more than that. A moratorium will be great right now, you know, so people can at least save up a little bit of money. But in the end, what it's going to come down to is that all of these debts have to be canceled through militant, disciplined struggle from working class and oppressed people. This is one thing that I wanted to mention about the, the, you know, the promise that has already been denied by the Biden administration of student loan relief. Um, that's not in this bill. Now, they're going to try and make the case that it is. And you know, in looking at the, the very strange language of the text of the, of the bill that passed the Senate, um, there is a, so like the, there was $10,000 of student loan forgiveness in the Trump stimulus that passed in December. The language in this bill that Biden's signed is for, um, it's like, it's like, we're not going to tax the student loan forgiveness that has already been granted. I, I mean, that, that is, I think the definition of neoliberal hell world like that that is such a joke but that's exactly that's exactly right devin um i also just some of these these mean tested programs like the emergency rental assistance i know in pennsylvania the way the program was designed it was like it was designed to fail there was this very short window towards the end of the summer um and into the the early fall um where basically as soon as the program was announced there was like six weeks i think to apply and you had to do all these things, including to get emergency rental assistance, you had to get your landlord to agree to it. And it wasn't even, it's not like they were going to say, okay, we're paying your rent. It was a bailout to the landlords. It was a bailout to the landlords. As long as you can get your landlord to agree, we'll pay up to $700 a month of your rent to the landlord. Then, you know, the, maybe the landlord will be gracious enough to say, okay, I'll take this money from the state instead of from you instead of evicting you um, and getting a tenant that can pay the full amount. Um, so it's because it was means tested to hell and there was a very short application window, a lot of people didn't apply and most of the funding didn't get allocated. I think it was like $150 million for uh, mortgage and rental relief and like a hundred of it was for rental. And most of that money, because the state didn't wanna give it back to the, the US treasury, 
they instead gave it to the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. And that's where most of the rental assistance money in Pennsylvania went, which I just think is like, I mean, that is a form of housing. It's just such a grotesque way of looking at it, isn't it? You know, warehousing humans. And before we move on to the next um, section, I do want to just say that um, Mumi Abu Jamal is experiencing a desperate, desperate health crisis right now. He has contracted COVID-19. He's suffering from congestive heart disease. Um, he has cirrhosis of the liver and dermatitis all over his body. And there is an active international campaign right now to free Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, so we're going to put some information in the chat. Um, we, we really urge people to contact Governor Wolf uh, and District Attorney Larry Krasner and demand the immediate release of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, his health has deteriorated to the extent that the only treatment is, is release from prison. So we just, we all, I just want to take a minute to say free Mumia and free all our aging and elder prisoners. Um, apart from that, this is not the first crisis managed by capitalist greed, and it's not going to be the last one. Um, we're watching as the COVID crisis unfolds and the different responses to it. Um, and there's a book that just came out about this um, called Capitalism on a Ventilator. Um, and it's a really cool anthology of many writers from Workers World newspaper, as well as Mumia Abu-Jamal, who contributed to the book, um, Ajamu Baraka from the Black Alliance for Peace, Vijay Prashad, Margaret Kimberly, Max Blumenthal, Lee Siu Hin, who was actually in China when the pandemic began, and the late Kevin Zeese, uh, have contributed to a new anthology. Um, it's called Capitalism on a Ventilator, The Impact of COVID-19 in China and the U.S. And it's available for sale despite Amazon's best efforts to censor the book and make it impossible for purchase. It, there was actually a great deal of outcry. And it seems that uh, Amazon, after this massive campaign, um, has, put the, has put the book back available for sale. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, in terms of the stimmy, right? In terms of what Biden is promising us, what does it mean for workers that fight for 15 has been pushed back again? And what conditions are workers facing in the pandemic? Um, how does the bill address their needs? Well, basically it just doesn't address their needs. I mean, we see these direct payments, but as we've said, like that doesn't even cover one month of rent in a lot of places, let alone several months when you're, you have back pay for rent. But it just is a slap in the face, not just for people on minimum wage, but for all workers, because all workers deserve higher pay at this point. And as long as the minimum wage continues to be so low, everybody else's pay will be low too, because it's, it's not... There won't be a huge outcry for others' wages to increase until the minimum wage does get increased, because then people are going to realize, hey, I'm not being paid enough. I'm not being paid enough for my labor. And the conditions, especially I work in the service industry, I'm a barista, and I mean, there are so many things that are happening your employer is supposed to provide PPE for you. And many places have not seen that at all. My place of employment, definitely not. We don't have masks on hand to give people if they don't have a mask. Yes, thankfully, I'm lucky that my bosses are very tough on people about wearing masks, but that can't be said for every business. It's pretty much up to the discretion of the owner whether or not their workers will be kept safe. And that's not okay. No one's enforcing these things unless there is like an outcry made against a business like the health department is not going to be there. They're not checking on these things. And not to mention having to deal with all of these anti-maskers, all these people who just want to complain about the pandemic and go back to brunch essentially, which is what they're doing. I mean, that's happening where I work. People can sit inside with their masks off. 
putting me at risk the whole time I'm working there. And I get paid $12 an hour. The most I've ever made is $14,000 a year. That's not enough to live off of. It's affecting people like me, my coworkers, all the people in the service industry, anyone who is being paid minimum wage. And like I said, disabled people, they can be paid below minimum wage. And service industry workers, they can be paid below minimum wage as well. And we're not gonna see an end to these problems. And they're just going to keep pushing it back. And like I said before, they keep talking about $15. I think Devin's right. It should be 35 at this point, because that would be about $67,000 a year. And well, it sounds better than what I have right now, at least. So I will take it. But the, the stress of the pandemic on workers and dealing with people, if you've ever worked in the service industry, you know what customers are like already terrible. Add a pandemic on top of that, basically enough stress to make your hair fall out. So they're dealing with this. They're dealing with past due rent, past due utilities. They can't even buy food to keep on their table. And the government is throwing us $1,400 and calling it good. And this is, you know, comrade Tom Scahill also dropped in the chat at Rite Aid workers get fired if they tell anyone to wear a mask. You know, I mean, and that's common, right? You know, the, this is the what the the ideology of the customer is always right gets you because it means that workers are these automatons. It's one of the reasons that we're, you know, we are so strongly in support of the the effort, the union drive down in Bessemer, Alabama, um, for these Amazon workers in in Alabama to fight for for dignity, and it's it's what you're talking about, Ezra just the self-respect that we have to have for ourselves, uh, the dignity that we deserve to not have to deal with the humiliation of being treated this way by our bosses and by customers on top of the, the degrading conditions of being paid, not enough to live on. $15,000, $16,000 a year, that's not enough to live on anywhere in this country, anywhere. And, you know, these are, you know, the the type, the sectors of the working class that have been conscripted into risking their lives during this pandemic have been classified as essential. You know, without hazard pay, um, at at great risk, and it's usually very low wage work. Um, you know, the the agricultural workers in this country who we literally rely on in order to eat um, are contracting. COVID-19 at way higher rates than the, the rest of um, the, the workforce. You know, and this is a, a workforce that is majority, 75% um, of uh, agricultural workers aren't, are not from this country. They're, they're migrant workers. So they face this extra level of, of uh, incarceration threat and the inability to advocate for themselves. What we need is a little solidarity, comrades. Um, Megan, I don't know if you want to talk about, uh, I mean, you were on the front line, so to speak, during the, the phase of this, the first phase of the pandemic. Yeah, Devin's comment about throwing out, uh, you know, a, an inflatable tube with a hole in it really reminded me of, um, you know, yeah, so I was working, um, was eventually fired. Uh, and now I'm a graduate worker, which I'm, you know, very lucky for that gig. Um, but yes, for for about two years, I was working at Whole Foods, which is Amazon subsidiary, right? Um, and, you know, this is relevant also because they are one of the few, you know, they made a whole PR stunt about increasing their minimum wage to $15 an hour, right? I started there at 12. Um, incidentally, once they bumped up the wage to 15 from 12, I lost my food stamps. And so I was kind of back at square one anyway which is like, you know, a different problem, but, um, you know, temporarily at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Whole Foods gave us $2, or I guess Amazon, cause this was company, this was like Amazon wide. Um, they gave us a $2 raise, $2 an hour raise. So it was $17 an hour. Um, and that lasted for like a couple months. And in the same week that they cut our hazard pay in the middle of the pandemic, right? Obviously this didn't coincide with any sort of you know, uh, increase in safety or you know, the pandemic subsiding. Um, we got shirts that said hero on the front. Same week, they cut the $2 hazard pay, right? It's like, um, 
you know, it's like the meme of someone drowning and someone gives them a high five. It's like, you know, uh, truly like uh, symbolic gestures meant to, um, you know, trick us, you know, in, into uh, complacency. And it's an, ins it's an insult to our intelligence as workers, frankly, right? They, they not only want us to die <laughs> and don't care if we die, but they think we're really not smart, right? They, they, it, it's a smug attitude that, that is reflected in this, in this bill. Um, and, you know, I think going to this question of, of, right, because, you know, this is not to say that there aren't, that $1,400 doesn't, $1, doesn't help at all, or that, you know, increases in, in, in pension funds don't have material effects on people's lives. I mean, right, the, the paradox of it is that 1400 is both a lot and not enough, right? Like for, for someone making, um, you know, for, 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 you know, lot, like service workers, people, uh, wage workers, like that can be like some months, almost your entire monthly income, right? Like um, I was barely making over 1600, you know, some months like that's, we are taught to live on such a, a low amount of money. Like we are, we are so thoroughly conditioned into just accepting that that is how it is, that it does feel like a lot in a way, it really does. And so that paradox like just shows you how, you know, and I think this is another reason why we really want to oppose this, even though some elements do help people, right? Not only is this a stopgap measure, not only is it not enough, but it's make it's it's making its purpose, right? Is to just hammer at home in workers' heads that we don't deserve more. It is just to hammer at home that we don't have that we shouldn't fight for more, that you know, we should just accept these crumbs that they give us, right? And I think that's the most dangerous part of, of any sort of, um, you know, temporary motion like this meant to sort of push the crisis into the future. We know that they're going to try to do that. Right. We know this is this is how capitalism works. Right. You know, the you know, profits must be maintained at all costs. Even during a crisis, we push that cost onto the workers. But, you know, the. I think one of the the tolls that we're experiencing now, right, because this, uh, the amount of aid we get is a direct, in, in many ways, in direct proportion to the strength of the organized labor movement um, and, and to, you know, just the, or, the organization of workers in general and oppressed people in general um, is that they think they can get away with it, right? They don't think that we, uh, you know, they aren't scared of us. They aren't scared enough of us. Um, and that's really a call to organize, right? That's a call to, to unionize. They should be afraid. They should be scared shitless after doing something like this, right? They should be putting, they should have the National Guard in DC after passing this bill, but they, they, they know, or they think, right? Because, you know, this is why we struggle. This is why we're communists. They think that we'll just lay down and take it, but we, we have to prove them wrong, right? Like they're going to just push it and push it and push it until we put up a barrier and say no more, you know, like, the momentum will keep going until we push it back. Um, and um, the fact that we have any concessions is at all, you know, like we mentioned is uh, a result of our struggle. It's a result of um, them being at least a little bit scared. So let's make them more scared. That's exactly right. And the way that we do this is through organization, you know? Um, I just want, we have some really great stuff happening in the chat that I just want to read um, uh, with us. Tonight is comrade Susan Abulhawa, um, uh, who's the author of multiple books, including Mornings in Janine and uh, Against the Loveless World. And during your remarks, Megan, she said, it's so condescending. The bosses don't think you're smart enough to understand what they're doing. And that's so true. Um, we also, I want to give a shout out to comrade Brian Shea from the Disability um, Justice and Rights Caucus of Workers World Party who says the disability justice movement has managed to win a 10% increase in funding for home and community-based supports, which are the supports that many people need to use in order to stay out of nursing homes. Still nowhere near enough to get people out of those death traps. Neoliberalism still lives. Um, I also, this is exciting. Um, we have, we're gonna bring somebody on as a special guest uh, briefly, who it's very cool, we, you know, add some international 
quality to this. Um, Comrade Chris from Greece, from the World Federation of Trade Unions, is uh, going to be joining us to make a, a brief comment. So, Chris, please uh, come on. Hello. Hey, good comrade. morning. Welcome. Hello, hello, comrades. Can you can you hear me? Okay, perfect. It's actually Loud and clear. Oh, perfect. It's actually 4 a.m. here in Athens, Greece. <laughs> but we actually received your invitation, and we really wanted to participate given that we had this opportunity to have a nice uh, debate and discussion with you on last Saturday in the Support Alabama Amazon Workers. So just a small, uh, yes, always in solidarity, uh, just a small uh, greeting I would like to transmit you in the name, on the behalf of the WFTU Secretariat. Uh, as you know, dear comrades, uh, the World Federation of Trade Unions, our federation, represents 105 million workers who live and struggle in 133 countries across the world. So we send you a warm internationalist greeting. Dear comrades, it is with great joy we received your invitation to participate in your today's discussion uh, on the COVID relief bill as announced by your president, Joe Biden. In the eyes of the workers of the world, the promises of the imperialists and their political personnel cannot but seem provo provocative and empty especially since in your country there are more than half a million people who have lost their lives due to the pandemic, while the cases of COVID-19 approach 30 million. At the same time, your people are faced with class repercussions of the pandemic on a daily basis, even on the issue of vaccinations. In the same way that the poorest and most unprotected popular strata and the Spanish-speaking and African-American communities are those that have been hardest hit by the pandemic, it is now these same groups that have received the lowest percentage of vaccination. For our class-oriented union family, dear comrades, the inability of the system to face the pandemic, to provide answers and guarantee the fundamental right to life clearly shows that the king capitalism is naked. And while on the one hand there is this gloomy outlook, on the other hand, there is hope and optimism. The perspective for the abolition of exploitation as expressed through the struggles of the working class in your country. The teacher strike last year, the mass marches of the people after the racist murders perpetrated by the state, the struggles that today Amazon workers are giving against union busting and employer persecution. At the same time, many workers, not only in the US, but also in Europe, understand the need to change the correlations of force in the movement and the unions. That is the need to defeat the line of class collaboration expressed worldwide by the International Trade Union Confederation and at the North American level by the leadership of the AFL-CIO. The emancipation of the organized labor movement from the employers' collaborators is a necessary condition to achieve more victories for our class. Comrades, each victory of the movement in a country is at the same time a victory of the world working class. That is why at the WFTU, we believe that the best form of internationalism is to fight against the bosses in your own country. From our side, we commit ourselves to continue firmly on the side of the working class of your country. In the face of the WFTU, dear comrades, you can always find an ally and friend in struggle of the peoples for the elimination of the exploitation of man by man. Thank you very much. Long live international solidarity, dear comrades. Long live international solidarity. Chris, thank you so much, comrade, for joining us. What a wonderful message. This is the kind of internationalism that really, oh, it, what, a, what a wonderful treat, as comrade Susie Abohawa just said. Thank you for joining us, comrade. Thank you, thank you, thank you, dear comrades. Um, it's good to know that we have allies all around the world, and I, I couldn't think of a better way to phrase it. The best form of internationalism is fighting the bosses in your own country. Beautiful. Um, comrades, uh, I want to talk about um, Workers' World newspaper very briefly. So Workers' World has had a party newspaper. Our reporting has been in continuous circulation since 1959. Um, during the first months of the COVID-19 pandemic, the print edition uh, was temporarily suspended. Um, but we're happy to announce that we have resumed printing physical copies of Workers' World newspaper again on a monthly basis. Uh, you can subscribe to receive Workers' World newspaper by email as well at workers.org. Um, so if you see on your screen now, for those um, who can show, who see the screen, um, this is a copy of 
last week's uh, newspaper in PDF form, and there's also a form where you can subscribe. This week's uh, issue that came out uh, yesterday, or no, earlier today actually, is uh, the front page story is about the struggle to free Mumia Abu Jamal, um, among many other great pieces of reporting. So definitely subscribe to Workers World. Um, and also, I just want to make uh, a quick um, pitch here. Everything in capitalism takes money. Uh, that includes um, funding the revolutionary struggle. Um, we're proud that Workers World is an important tool for political education and organization behind the walls of the U.S. carceral system. Um, so you can see where you can donate to Workers World if you like what you're hearing, if you want to support the party. Um, our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWP, is also, this is how we fund our prisoner subscription program. Workers World provides free newspapers to anyone who's currently incarcerated. Um, so if you want to help us sustain this program, uh, you can donate um, on Patreon. Uh, you can also help our other organizing efforts uh, at Venmo or by going to workers.org. So now that we've talked about a stimulus for revolutionary activity, let's talk about the Biden stimulus. Um, what kind of stimulus do we actually need? What, what, is, what are the kind of programs that we would need that would actually get us out of a crisis like this? Why is capitalism at a dead end? Why is socialism the way forward? Any comrade want to take a stab at this one first? Yeah. Um, the stimulus, I mean, <laughs> you know, in the, in the Soviet Union, housing was less than 5% of your income. Uh, you were guaranteed health care and a job. You know, that that is the kind of revolutionary path that is needed. Um, I have a friend who lives here in Northwest Florida who lived in Cuba for several years while she attended medical school. And we were speaking just the other day, in fact, and she told me that she still has her home in Cuba because everyone there is guaranteed a house. She can go back to Cuba anytime she wants and she has a home there. Um, so the things that we need are something like guaranteed housing, uh, guaranteed health care, guaranteed, you know, <laughs> guaranteed well-being, um, jobs for people who need them. A, a really good start would be to defund the Pentagon uh, and to take the the bloated war budget and put it back into the, you know, the needs of the people. Uh, you know, no money for war, you know, no money for imperialist invasion of other countries, you know, for any more colonialist plundering, no money for that. We need money for the people. That would be a good uh, stimulus. And yes, someone in the chat just said reform public transit, socialized medicine, uh, things like that. Thank you, Morgana. Uh, just, and that's just, that's just the beginning. Um, we need socialism, you know, we can keep having all these stimuluses, you know, we can, you know, we can get six or seven or, you know, 20 more checks. But the fact is, is that people are still going to be suffering because capitalism is designed to suffer, to make people suffer and to prolong the suffering for as long as it possibly can. So the only cure is is socialism, socialist revolution, and you know, socialism. Well yeah, said, I'll, uh, I'll add land back reparations. I mean, right? This is the same struggle. Um, you know, this uh, this this country, truly from its founding, um, has is is a death cult on on every front, and um, you know, not only you know. We, we can just see, I mean, from this, from not just this summer, obviously, that that was, you know, the powder keg explosion of, of you know, since the beginning, the racist violence from, from the state, you know, the, the violent dispossession of indigenous Americans, you know, this is in the DNA of the United States. And so, um, you know, while, while we believe in transitional demands, certainly, um, you know, our our government, um, I I believe, is not going to be the one to to give us the things we need, right? Because those things that we need um, probably look um, nothing like the United States today. Um, it's a new system, right? And and part of that is necessarily 
um, providing reparations and land back. And, um, you know, the, the, the wealth that the ruling class holds in this country is, um, you know, a direct result of that plunder and that exploitation of the enslavement of people. Um, and, um, you know, that extraction is, you know, the, the not increasing minimum wage, right? Like, all, all of this um, suffering that is being inflicted on people right now is in order to increase those very same profits that were always from the beginning, the result of colonialism, imperialism, and enslavement uh, and dispossession. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would just, you know, <laughs> the stimulus we need is, is um, a new system where we wouldn't have stimulus, we would have aid um, or people you know, wouldn't even necessarily need aid in this time because our needs would be guaranteed, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, a crisis hits, a pandemic hits, and, uh, you know, people aren't living paycheck to paycheck so that it's just up to you to have savings. You know, it's just up to you to have three months worth of income stored away somehow, right? Even though, you know, we can barely pay our bills on a month to month basis. Um, and so, so really, um, you know, as, as climate crisis becomes more severe and more frequent, I think we're only going to see the system tested more and more in this way. Uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, perhaps things will get worse before they get better, but I don't wanna, you know, that's, that's up to us, right? That's, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated that Chris, um, you know, Brought a note of optimism because it's true that this crisis, you know, the the other side of of crisis, deprivation, struggle, is increased class consciousness. It's solidarity. It's increasing possibilities for a radical future. And in many ways, this past year has has uh, in some ways moved us closer to that. I think as a class, has given us opportunities to raise you know the consciousness of our class and um, you know. While I wouldn't bet on the system, you know, exposing itself, um, you know, these things don't happen automatically, you know, capitalism will reproduce itself. Um, I think what we're seeing, you know, is a failure of the system to reproduce itself, really. Um, and that failure can only really uh, get uh, more and more pronounced and worse as these crises become more severe, more frequent. Um, so it's, it's not even just a matter, you know, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of a centuries long struggle against white supremacy, colonialism, imperialism. We need a new system. Uh, you know, we need a new, we need a new order of the world. One where people and human beings are more important than the bottom line. Um, and, you know, maybe it's like a too general of an answer, but really, you know, um, that's what we're struggling for. Yeah, definitely. We need to abolish the system first. And I just add a few things onto that. We do need to defund the Pentagon. We need to defund the police. We need to abolish prisons and let them all be free. And we need to focus on climate justice because if we don't, there won't be any land to give back. There will be nothing left if we don't focus on that. Now, I read something that just came out earlier that if we don't drastically reduce our emissions in the next few years, there will be huge climate disasters in this century. And I thought everybody might already know that, but they purposefully don't share these things as often as they need to in the media. So that's one huge thing that we also need, if we were to get any stimulus, we need climate justice and we need it now. We needed it yesterday. Uh, Ted, can I say one more thing? Please do, yeah. Okay, so I think, you know, we're talking about, you know, defunding the Pentagon, abolishing the police, you know, land back immediately. And I, you know, yes, absolutely. And that all has to start with organizing. That all has to start with organizing the masses. That is a stimulus we need to get out of this crisis, is the, you know, the, the stimulus of organizing, if you want to call it that. And we're seeing that right now in Bessemer. You know, I live four hours south of Bessemer. Uh, I grew up in, in that area. And so now we have thousands and thousands of Amazon workers in a, a, 
a, not a small town, but a smaller town in central Alabama who are, they, they see capitalism is at a dead end. You know, we, we are getting nothing while the rich get richer. You know, in 2017, 2018, Bessemer was voted the worst city to live in in Alabama. The average median income per year is $31,000 for an average household. The people of Bessemer are rising up with this union. And now not only has it has it sparked this incredible wave of, of union organizing and union solidarity organizing, um, with, you know, incredible international groups like WFTU. And thank you, uh, Chris. Thank you, Comrade Chris from Greece. Uh, we really needed that, that optimism. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I read a few days ago something like Amazon workers in over 100 cities across the country are now talking about, is it, is it possible to unionize now? Can we unionize like the Alabama Bessemer workers are trying to do now? And that is, that is the stimulus we need. That is, you know, the, the boost we need. This is how we show people that socialism is the way. Uh, because if you can imagine if Bessemer, you know, if Bessemer, Alabama unionizes, or if, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Wyoming, the Amazon workers unionize, or, you know, somewhere in Arkansas, and this just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. And suddenly, you know, it's just union organizing all the way, revolutionary workers who are taking it back, who are taking capitalism to the grave. That is going to be incredibly effective. And But it all has to start with organizing, organizing the masses. So that's all I had. I'm so glad you mentioned that in particular, Devin. Everyone made such great and beautiful closing remarks. Um, there, was a, there was a comment in the chat um, from a viewer named Dwight. How can we educate people who have been brainwashed with the wonders of capitalism, almost from birth, to understand what socialism and Workers' World Party actually have to offer um, that's better than the constant droning mantras of the capitalist imperialist nation states? That's a great question. I think what Devin just said is organizing, political education. And I think one of the best ways to do that is we need to start having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, and really start agitating and, and getting the message out and, and helping people realize that we don't have to live this way. We really don't. Um, comrades, if you liked this conversation um, and you want to read more from Workers' World, and from our other great comrades, um, I want to recommend that you check out our new book, which is called What Road to Socialism. Um, you can buy it online or you can download a copy for free at workers.org slash books. Um, you can also find um, a bunch of other uh, books that Workers World has written over the years um, at workers.org slash books. Um, and every book that you know, Workers World has up on the website, you can download for free. Um, this has been a really inspiring conversation, comrades. I'm so glad that we are all able to be on together um, and welcome uh, comrade Chris. And thanks so much for your words of solidarity and encouragement. Um, we do this uh, every Thursday thereabouts um, at 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central and 8 p.m. Eastern time every Thursday. Um, we're about ready to wrap up. And I mean, there's so many more things that we could talk about with this stimulus, especially the fact that of the 1.9 trillion, most of that goes to corporations. You know, 3.5 billion of it is going to the Gates Foundation. Um, Homeland Security got a bag from this stimulus. Um, and in a socialist society, under a socialist state that's controlled by the workers, we wouldn't be making those concessions to the private capitalist holdings because they wouldn't exist because we would have expropriated them. Um, and we would have a planned economy that's based on the needs of the workers first and foremost. Um, but I want to invite you all to join us again next week um, on Thursday, the 18th. Um, this live stream is going to be dedicated to the international efforts to free Mumia Abu-Jamal and all elder and immunocompromised prisoners. Please join us um, Thursday. And please also make sure that you don't miss our special event hosted by Workers World Party's Women and Gender Oppressed Caucus on Sunday, March 21st for Women's History Month. Um, 
And of course, on March 20th, uh, next Saturday, please, please join the struggle for solidarity with the Bessemer, Alabama workers down uh, in the South and all over the country and indeed all over the world. Uh, March 20th is an international day of solidarity against racism and union busting. You can go to supportamazonworkers.org to learn more and find an action that's taking place in your city. Uh, And if you don't see one, you should plan an action in your city or your area. So comrades, long live international solidarity, stay safe, Get involved, free Mumia, and build a workers' world. Build a workers' world. Build a workers' world. Workers World Podcast. Hear more at workers.org.